You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think uh, there, there was a pretty drama-free signing day for us because the commitments we had were commitments, a um, bunch of good kids that gave us their pledge, and we honored it and they honored it. Um, there's a couple kids we were fighting, fighting for right down to the end, but other than that, uh, this group uh, committed to us and, and we're fired up to, to sign and become part of our family. So that uh, was a pretty relaxing day for us. Yeah, we're going to you know, let the dust settle, see how many spots we still have. It's going to be a best available uh, player that we can get to Lincoln for the most part. Uh, I think there's still some things we'd like to add. Um, I think we need to in- improve our depth uh, at outside linebacker and pass rusher, so we'll keep our eye out for that. If there's another re- young receiver that we can add, I think uh, our depth there has been really uh, not where we want it to be through this first year. I think we could still use a young corner uh, to try to get in here and develop and see if they can help us. So uh, those are kind of areas that we're looking, but uh, it it doesn't really matter. Skill player on offense, D-line, if we find a guy that we think can move the needle and help us uh, win games in the Big Ten, we're going to take him. And welcome here to this post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Later we'll hear from Robin Washington, a little hoops talk uh, here as Nebraska red hot, 9-2, and two, but uh, this show is going to be very recruiting heavy, as it should be. Uh, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as you heard Scott Frost out of the gates there, and that was my question to him. I've, I've covered 20 signing days now, Nate, um, and there's always something with Nebraska. I mean, just because you're dealing with a lot of factors, a lot of out-of-state kids, distance, just things that are out of your control, um, weather, um, you name it. Um, other teams that have coaching changes that come in and try to get your recruits. And that always has led to drama on signing day for Nebraska. I don't know if I can recall very many without drama. Well, this year, knock on wood, um, was really one of the more drama-free signing days. And there were 23 guys that initially inked on Wednesday. I know the Jugo guys could grow that number uh, after we taped this show to maybe 25. Um, But it was quite remarkable just how smooth the day went for Nebraska, number one, that by 9.15, I think 20 of the letters or more were already in the bag. Yeah, I mean, it was it was <laughs> pretty unreal. There's always a hiccup. There's always something that, that goes crazy, um, you know, some late drama, whether it's a guy who had been committed for a long time that all of a sudden has a, a change of heart or, um, you know, an, an announcement that where all signs are kind of pointing towards them picking Nebraska and they all of a sudden – don't pick Nebraska. Um, I mean, you basically. I've been. I've become conditioned to, to uh, to realize that there's going to be something. There's going to be a hiccup or a bump on the road or or whatever. Um, you know, at some point during the day, and there really wasn't. Every recruit that had been committed to Nebraska heading into signing day, uh, the early signing day. They signed uh, the one drama. They got it back. Wondell Robinson. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that That's, was that was the that was the high water point of the drama, yeah. and that was on November first. Yeah. And Scott Frost, I thought it was interesting today that he said, "I walked away from that. I was done with it." Credit my assistant coaches. They stuck with Wondell, and they recognized that other people maybe influenced him to go to Kentucky, and they just kept at it and they kept at it and they got him back. Other than that, I mean, I don't know what else. You would count. I mean, we knew nobody real. If you followed recruiting, like Lloyd Summerall, that was yeah. the one announcement he was we a watched. Shot the whole the whole way, and and really, I think that was his visit to Nebraska was somewhat of a favor. I, I think. I mean, I, I think that he there was some interest there. He had a relationship with the coaches because they'd been recruiting him since you know dating back to their time at UCF. He he has a relationship with a, a graduate assistant on the staff that, that's from the same high school as he is. Uh, and so I, I think that those types of connections led to him visiting. And, and he did have a good time, but there was no way he was leaving the state of Florida. <laughs> when they got to his announcement, there was a Miami hat, a Florida hat, a Chucky doll, yeah. and, and no Nebraska hat. I'm like, well, I don't even know why they said Nebraska was in this yeah. mix. But other than that, Ty Robinson, Jimmy Fritchie, um, and then uh, Brant Banks. Brant Banks. I mean, they went three for three um, on the ones that we kind of knew. And, and we knew or had a pretty good idea that it was all going to go that way. But still, we've known that it was going to go that way before. And we've seen snowstorms change things. We've yeah. seen kids not show up to school and fax their letters in. We've seen everything possibly happen in Nebraska over the years. There was none of that this year. Yeah, there's really no, absolutely no drama. And 
And I, I loved every second of it. <laughs> and I know I the coaches to, did. I went to lunch with my wife. Yeah. I was able to catch my daughter's Christmas program before I got to the press conference. I mean, normal signing day, that's not the case. No, that's unheard of. Um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely refreshing. And I think a lot of it has to do with how this coaching staff operates. They, they are not all about the drama. They, they don't get wrapped up in that type of thing. I think that uh, for the most part, they, they kind of laid it down and said, hey, look, okay, this is the deal. This is how it's going to go. And, and for the most part, I think all the recruits, they're completely on board with this coaching staff and what's happening in Lincoln. And so there were no games being played. The, this staff is not about the, the recruiting The Twitter games. likes, the, yeah, the, the T-shirts, the yeah. bumper sticker, I mean, whatever, all the hoopla. Yeah, they're, they're just not about playing games. And, and I think that that really came across today as every kid that signed with Nebraska is, is basically the same way. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as uh, we talk the signing class here, we're going to go three segments in a row on the class, and Mike Wheeler is going to uh, give us your signing day questions here in our fourth segment. But as we kind of look at it, Nate, overall, within the Big Ten, uh, Nebraska fourth right now, um, number one in the West, and honestly, that's probably how it is almost every year. Yeah, Nebraska is third or fourth in the conference, maybe fifth, number one in the West. I mean, that, that tends to be – how it's played out. Give me your reasoning why this one's different, though, than maybe past ones. Well, I think the balance of the class, to me, is is what sets this one apart. I think when you look at what they signed, um, particularly in the trenches, I think it starts there. Yeah, the flashy players that they signed come in terms of the offensive uh, you know, firepower, uh, some big names there. But I think it really does start in the trenches, both offensive and defensive lines. Um, and, and when you look at the class from top to bottom, there's really no weak links here. You, know, you can't point to one or two guys and say, eh, I don't know if they really fit in with the rest of these guys. And, um, and, and I think that for the most part, the, this coaching staff did a great job of getting guys that were either number one on their board at that position or or very very high up there, um, and they closed they closed strong. They they showed last year in about a month and a half time that they had the ability to close on some guys, and uh, and I think they really they really proved it this year that they could definitely close on some big guy big time guys too. I think the true indicator too, Nate, when you kind of look at how the last month went, I know. We're, we just have been around it long enough that we were kind of expecting December to be kind of a mad rush of visitors. But quite frankly, that was typically plan B guys. Your plan A guys are coming in in the fall. Yeah. And if they're not committing or signing with you now in December and the guys you're bringing in late in most cases that are ranked lower, those are the plan B guys. There weren't a lot of late night dumpster dives going on here to try to find recruit to the last minute. I mean, Nebraska, like you said, I mean, the, the lack of drama down the stretch, the lack of visitors that came into Lincoln, that was maybe the most telling thing to me over the last month. Yeah, th that was a big question that I had been getting a lot was, was uh, are you worried that, that the these visit weekends? Well, because we've seen so much crap before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, people were asking me over and over, is, you know, are you worried that they're not bringing in that many visitors here uh, once the contact period got started? and. And, and I wasn't because, to me, that signified that this staff knows that they're in a great spot with all the kids that they brought in during the fall um, and, and that they, they're not needing to, to resort to, you know, their backup options or plan B guys or so on and so forth. So um, and that's exactly how it really played out. Who now I'm going to put you on the spot here. Scott Frost said I think it was Ramir Johnson had some people coming at him late. Uh, I mean, he was one of them. I, I think that, uh, you know, I think there was a the handful of guys. Uh, Ronald Tompkins was one that. Uh, oh, yeah, Ronald Tompkins. I'm sorry. Ronald yeah, Tompkins was the, the, the He was one that, that had some, some teams coming after him late. Who were they? Do you know? Uh, I, I don't know who, who they were. Uh, you know, I, I know there were, at one point in time there was some chatter that Notre Dame and Louisville were going after Ramir Johnson. Um, that turned out to be something out of false or or he denied it or, or whatever um but uh i mean he, he after his official visit after the season ended uh you know he, he seemed completely solid you know i know that uh a guy like matthew anderson picked up a late offer from k-state and and i know that he he received a couple other offers during the season uh that he didn't even really acknowledge report. publicly or report publicly uh and i think that's that was the case for a handful of guys i, I think for the most part um, you know, Jackson Hanna out of Tennessee. Uh, I know that he, he got approached by some schools down the stretch. 
Um, but he, and especially when the season was really, really rocky, when they're sitting 0 and 5, 0 and 6, um, you know, the, the, these guys were getting peppered with, by some teams saying, hey, you really want to go to Lincoln? They haven't even won a game yet. And they were solid as can be. They never really wavered one, one bit. Um, and they all signed here uh, on Wednesday. No California, no Florida guys, right? No California, no Florida guys. Only one Texas guy. Had Bram Banks not signed on Wednesday, uh, they wouldn't have signed a, a kid Texas. from from California, Texas, or Florida, which is pretty remarkable. And if you had asked me a year ago at this point in time if if Nebraska would not sign a guy out of Florida, I would say no way. Uh, so what am I going to do with my Flo Brasca shirt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I already got rid of my Calabrasca yeah. shirt. Now I know no Flo no, Brasca. You have to switch it to uh, Gior Brasca or, or or something uh, or something like that. <laughs> Getting four guys out of Georgia. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't think that will be a trend that continues. I, I think that Florida will will be a state that they uh, are able to pull some guys out of. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work this year. All right, well, here's what we got on tap. We're going to come back. We're going to talk offensive guys, break down the class, defensive guys. Good chance we'll probably do the same thing again in February because it's you know there's going to be more stuff that happens in recruiting. Yep. But we will break down the early offensive class and what Nebraska signed. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We knew all along that this is kind of where his heart was, and I think uh, there's a lot of pressure in recruiting that goes on, uh, particularly if a kid's going to leave uh, a school that's closer to home. Sure, I'm glad that Wandale followed his heart and came here, and uh, we're going to get to started with him real quick. He's enrolling early, and he'll be here for spring ball, and uh, we got a new toy for our offense. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. That was head coach Scott Frost talking about Wandell Robinson and kind of just what he means to this recruiting class. This segment here of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's. College bowl games are in action. NFL football all weekend. Nebraska basketball as well. Uh, get on into any one of the five Omaha Tanners, one here in Lincoln, uh, and check out all the action here over the weekend. Uh, but, Nate, um, we're going to talk offensive recruits here as you, as you kind of look at um, this group of guys and you heard Scott Frost, um, and we, we already touched a little bit on Wandell Robinson, but as a whole, you look at the six playmakers they got, um, really kind of three running backs and three receivers, all of, four of the six, four stars, and then the other two are 5.7, three stars. When you look at that group overall, um, is that as deep of a playmaking group as you can remember in a recruiting class at Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head it is, uh, especially when you're talking about Guys that speed, yeah, speed. Uh, guys that can break a game open, that could take it the distance pretty much any time they touch the football. Um, you know, I don't really recall that many the, of those types of guys uh, in in one class. And so, and Scott Frost talked about it at the press conference. He said, "My ideal offense is to have five game breakers out on the field at any given point in time. Uh, five skill guys." That can that can make plays and and you know flip a game and and that's what that's what they're kind of bringing in and and I do think it starts with a Wandell Robinson obviously he's kind of the the high the most highly ranked kid in the class and, and he's kind of the the crown jewel on that side of the football um, you know and, and it's you know it's been well documented I guess how how everything kind of played out with him but um, you know he is going to be really really fun to watch and it's going to be interesting to see just how creative uh, Frost and and the staff can get with his talents yeah you look at that group of six and I mean it's not out of the question to see three or four of those guys making big impacts next season no I, I think Wandell Robinson for sure especially since since he's a, an early enrollee uh, Jamie Nance is a guy that that I've I've been very high on especially since we were able to see him in person uh, another early enrollee uh, I mean he is a legit 10 500 meter kid um, and and he, at the very least, I think he's going to have a great shot at being a, a return guy uh, for this team next year, uh, especially having that winter under Zach Duvall, I think is going to be huge for him. Um, you know, Ramir Johnson and Ronald Tompkins is a, is a guy that, that Scott Frost talked about. You know, if he had not been hurt this year, who knows where, where he ends up? You know, and, uh, Frost said that there's a good chance that, that they have a really hard time holding on to him if, if he's actually able to play this year for, for Grayson High School. Well, you wonder too, Nate, just the early signing day, how many of these guys would have been pried at in January? And, and that is the beauty 
of what this early signing day brought. I mean, January used to be a babysitting month. Now it is a recruiting month, which I think has been a game changer, especially for a team like Nebraska. Yeah, it's huge for a team like Nebraska because you're right. January was babysitting and, uh, you know, keeping the poachers out, out of your own backyard, um, you know, and away from away from all your all your guys. And, um, you know, and you don't have to worry about that. People now. would just show up to your school. Yeah, people would just show Unannounced. up. Unannounced. Yep. Uh, or just reaching out to a kid that's been committed to you for six months, and all of a sudden you got a you got a brand new team that's reached out and and you know kind of dropping planting seeds of doubt in your mind leading up to signing day, or or not in not only in your mind but in the minds of those around you. Um, you know, I mean, it's, people teams would get very creative to try and poach. Um, and, and kind of try to weaken any type of commitment that there was had or that there had been, um, and and we're not going to see that anymore. And and it's a huge relief to the coaches. I guarantee you that. Now McCaffrey, Nate at quarterback, um, listed as an athlete by us at Rivals. Obviously, a quarterback Scott Frost confirmed that even more so today. Early enrollee guy, Andrew Bunch's future kind of in doubt um, if he's going to be back. Um, so it, you know he's going to have a real opportunity to get quality you know number three type reps you know assuming Noah Vedral is healthy and ready to roll as the guy with Martinez um, but what, what do you think of McCaffrey I know you got to see him play you got to talk to him a lot this year uh, what are your thoughts of the one quarterback they added with the situation of especially Nebraska's in with Adrian Martinez being just a sophomore yeah I like I like Luke McCaffrey I think he's a uh... Um, he's a kid that has a tremendous amount of upside. He's only really played the you know quarterback for one year as a full time starter, um, you know, and I think that uh, that he made some big strides in in his uh, his passing ability. Uh, but he is a terrific athlete first and foremost. He's a guy that has obviously grown up around the game. His dad had played uh, at Stanford and, and played in the NFL forever. All of his brothers in the in the NFL right now. Um, Dylan McCaffrey is uh, the middle brother is at Michigan. So, um, you know, he has the he has all the intangibles. He's got the athletic ability. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of see his progression now that he gets on campus early, uh, gets to work with uh, Zach Duvall in the weight room. And obviously Mario Verduzco is kind of the, the quarterback whisperer. Um, and I'm interested to see kind of how, how things progress with him once uh, Verduzco gets his hands on him. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we talk offensive guys. Offensive line, so secret. That was a major need uh, for Nebraska, you know, this entire class. And what's really unique, Nate, is, is the type of guys they added. I mean, Nebraska had become this team that was just full of guards and centers, kind of squattier-built bodies. They just weren't really – great guys that had a lot of upside they were you know a lot of strong powerful guys but short-armed there wasn't a lot of room to add good weight on a lot of these players you look at the group of linemen they've added in this class I mean it's just full of six 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 seven kids with flat stomachs that are about 260 ish and it tells you a couple things that Scott Frost knows he has time to build this up the right way um, instead of just trying to get guys that maybe physically are ready now but long term didn't have the growth yeah, I think that, uh, um, and they wanted to to look a certain way. They they want to they want to increase their size, uh, and they want athletes on that side of the football, and especially on the edges, they want they want length. And so, yeah, you, you go down the the commitment list here, and and that it's full of six 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 seven um, athletes, guys that are that have length. Uh, that uh, a lot of in a lot of cases, they're. There are players that have gone from playing, you know, tight end and have made the move to offensive tackle. So basketball players, basketball wrestlers, players, exactly. So, um, you know, it's a really impressive offensive line class, uh, in my opinion, and I think that um, in when you look at it, yeah, Nebraska's had a for whatever reason they've had a really hard time recruiting offensive tackles over the last decade or, or more. Uh, at least consistently. Really, in history, they've not been a pro-style yeah. recruiting tackle school. I mean, the best tackles in this program's history were guards in the NFL. Yep. And Zach Wiegert. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that trend is changing now. And uh, the other thing, I mean, two, two main things really stand out to me with the offensive tackles or the offensive line uh, commits that Nebraska has. And one is that, um, you know, Greg Austin – 
and, and Scott Frost trusts Greg Austin and his ability to evaluate talent. Um, and, and two, they really, really trust Zach Duvall. And so they're not afraid to go out and get some guys that may be underdeveloped right now, but they feel like have really, really high ceilings. Um, and, and I think that was the main goal. They wanted to get some guys that could come in and play early on in their career, but also go out and, and identify some guys that they could hand over to uh, Zach Duvall and, and really develop them uh, because they have unlimited amounts of potential. And, and that's what you have with a guy like Jimmy Fritchie and, and Matthew. Anderson, whereas uh, you've got a couple other guys like uh, like uh, uh, Bryce Benhart and possibly uh, Desmond Bland that could play very early on once they get to, to Lincoln. Briefly, as you wrap it up, Nate, how surprised are you that there weren't any JUCO offensive linemen? I think about a month or maybe six, eight weeks ago, it was almost the lock of the class was there's going to be a JUCO tackle that could come in for the spring. Do you think A, they felt just so much better about like the high school guys they got. They didn't want to mess with it or B where there just not any guys available that made sense. Well, I think it was a combination of both. Uh, really the commitment of Bryce Benhart changed everything. In they, my they must have not thought they were going to get him. Well, at one point. I, I mean, mean he's, he's so hard to read this staff. I'll tell you this staff. They're very good at planning ahead. Um, they're not caught flat footed with anything. Just like the, the Diedrich Mills uh, deal. You know, that's why they had John Bivens on, on standby to possibly visit in January because of his uh, academics. Yes. So they're not caught flat footed by anything. So that's why they were kind of uh, planning to, to possibly have to go to the Juco route uh, as far as offensive tackles are concerned and so when Ben Hart committed that really changed their needs there and and really allowed them to go out and get a Jimmy Fritchie who like I said has an unbelievable ceiling uh, but it's going to take a year or two of development yeah it's one of those guys where you're either going to look like a genius or if it doesn't work out you're like you know what we had one to burn so yeah. uh, and, and that's recruiting so when we come back we're going to switch over to the defensive side of the football the Huskers close with a big one in Ty Robinson we'll get Nate's thoughts on that and more you're listening to Husker Online Show this is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Ty is our kind of kid. Uh, I think he's a Nebraska type of kid. Helps that his grandpa's from O'Neill, Nebraska. That certainly didn't hurt. Um, I went to kindergarten and first grade in O'Neill, so we had a lot to talk about. Uh, Ty had a ton of choices, a lot of places to go. Uh, coach Dawson deserves a ton of credit for that. I don't know if I've seen one coach work as hard for one player as, as uh, Coach Dawson did to get Ty. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. That was head coach Scott Frost talking about the final kind of cherry on the top um, of the recruiting class, Ty Robinson. I'll tell you, Nate, uh, Coach Frost grew up in so many different parts of the state of Nebraska between O'Neill, McCook, Wood River. Obviously, his time here in Lincoln with the Huskers and even when his mom was a coach here at the university, it's almost like he can use it to his advantage because he's got connections really in all corners of the state. And just a little thing like, uh, you know, the relationship and the connection of O'Neill, Nebraska, um, you know, that was a hell of a starting point for Nebraska with Ty Robinson. And they just kept building and building and building to what they got on signing day. Yeah, this is a this is a relationship that started. Uh, last January 17th is when they officially offered him. And in um, almost 11 months to the day is when he ended up signing with Nebraska. And so, I mean, this was a longstanding deal. And he, from that time they offered, he was right at the very top of their board. Uh, probably one of the top five guys overall, regardless of position, that they felt like they absolutely had to get in this class. Uh, they recruited him harder than anybody. And, and you heard Frost say right there that, that he doesn't know if, if he's ever seen anybody recruit any uh, a player harder than what Mike Dawson did. And I know Frost himself was heavily involved there. Um, you know, I, I know that uh, he, he was frequently FaceTiming Ty Robinson, uh, you know, throughout this whole process and, um, and, and really the entire coaching staff. And, and we saw a culmination of that uh, just this past week where it was Frost and all 10 assistants in home with Ty Robinson getting the final in-home visit and that's really what pushed Nebraska over the top and, and really sealed the deal. They ended up getting the commitment that night. And, uh, and Frost told a funny story about how they spent over six hours there at the Robinsons' house and, and just enjoying their time out there on their ranch outside of Phoenix. They have a camel. They've got a camel. Calvin the camel. 
and uh, and apparently a dog that the, I, I like how he had a. I mean, because obviously you're on a you're on an in home visit with a high school kid, but he goes a dog that can get bottles of water. Yeah, and I'm like, fridge, okay, I'm command. <laughs> I'm no dummy. I know that dog can get other things besides water. Yeah, which so, is a pretty cool trick. Yeah, so Ty Robinson's mom is a vet, and, and uh, they live on a ranch, and they've got a camel and a donkey, and uh, and at least one dog that apparently can fetch the beverages out of her fridge. <laughs> Well, you look at this group of defensive guys, Nate, and I think the length across the front seven, really the whole defense, the secondary guys too. But I go back to you know when Bob Welton was here for his little short time. The one thing he said to me, I remember we early in the spring, I go, you know, they got some good veterans up front returning on this defense, and he just said, "We're short, you know, we're we are way too short," and I think that lack of length at times especially in the 3-4 showed this year. And the way this class got built up along the defense, along the D-line, the linebackers, and the secondary, they really added length. And you know, and that, the same on the offense, but I think defensively they were a pretty short, squatty team up front, and it, it hurt them at times against the elite-level defensive lines, offensive lines this year. Yeah, they, and Eric Chenander mentioned that several times throughout the season too, that how – how they uh, it's a priority of theirs to to add length to this defense and uh, and they definitely did that. I mean, Ty Robinson's six six, Brant Banks is six is seven, six seven. Um, you know, you, you, Masai Newsom is six five. Uh, you you got uh, Jameen Graham who's six five, six six. Um, you know, Nick Henrich is pushing six four. I mean, all across the board in that front seven, you've got a lot of length. Even the 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 DBs. You know, Javen Wright six three, Miles Farmer six three, Quentin Newsom. I mean, there, is there a guy under six two in the defensive class? Uh, actually, I don't I don't think there is. And so. So I mean that's pretty remarkable when when you're talking about uh, just the 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 change. I mean the the roster is going to look completely different, and when, especially when you factor in some of the offensive linemen that they that they added too. So, uh, but they they definitely did add a lot of length uh, to the defensive side of the football, and um, and we saw that kind of affect Nebraska in a negative way. Um, you know when they're playing team like uh, like Iowa down the stretch. I mean Iowa's defensive line goes six 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 seven across the board and. Uh, and that gave you know the Huskers' offensive line trouble. So, uh, and I, I think that was another another aspect or another reason why they really wanted to add some some size and length uh, up front on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, I feel like the further they got into the Big Ten schedule, the more they realized, like you know, I think they thought you know watching film, oh, we can compete against these guys. But then as the year wore on, injuries happen, other things happen. I think they realize, man, we've got to get some different looking guys to play in this league. Yeah, it, and it, honestly, it kind of reminds me of when Bill Callahan came here. Um, you know, he saw the he saw the roster that he inherited, and it was like, holy cow! Like, we we got to change this roster. We got to flip this roster quickly and add some size because we uh, th- at that point in time it kind of kind of uh, become a short squatty team and and I think that when Scott Frost took this roster over uh, he was a little surprised by the lack of length and, and size especially up front in the trenches and and that was definitely a priority of theirs in this class and and I would say uh, that they did a really good job of, of taking that first step to correcting that problem yeah you look at uh, in-state too there's a good amount of guys on defense on the defensive side of the ball for the in-state group Ethan Piper on the defensive line Garrett Nelson, Garrett Snodgrass, and then Nick Henrich, all linebackers. Um, pretty good group of just front seven in-state kids um, you know, across the board. A lot of versatility there when you look at those four guys. Yeah, a ton of versatility when you look at those guys. I mean, shoot. Uh, you know, Garrett Nelson has played mostly defensive end. He's, he's played some some tight end, some fullback. Um, Garrett Snodgrass has literally played just about every position on the football field. Uh, he's a coach's kid. Um, uh, Ethan Piper, you know, I think he could still play offensive line. Uh, I think that's still kind of up in the air. And I know Mike Dawson today on one of the uh, the Husker Vision you know videos that they put out, he said that you know it's still kind of up in the air. He could be an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, and and they think that. He could play anywhere across the the either side of the football up front there. So um, you know, and, and then Henrich too. I think that he's a guy who could play inside or even uh, outside eventually. So a lot of versatility. Uh, but the one common theme with all those guys, I, I think, is uh, is athleticism and, and a motor. All, all those guys have a terrific motor and play very very hard. And Nebraska football.
football seems important to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is an X factor among X factors that outsiders, Mike Riley's, other people not from, they don't get that. Yeah. And I, that, that, that's where Scott Frost came in, Barrett Rood came in, especially on the in-state front. They understand what it means in the state, and I think that reflected down to how they recruited these kids and ultimately helped them close the deal on some of these in-state guys that took a little bit more work than a normal in-state kid should take. Yeah, and I think the power of suggestion is is uh, pretty real here too because if it's important to your head coach who's a native Nebraskan, then it should probably be important to you too if, if you're a native Nebraskan that has an offer from the Huskers. And, uh, and, and I think all those kids really took it to heart that, hey, look – uh, my my in-state school, um, you know, wants me to play football for them, and this is a big deal. And and I just, it's been a long time since I've really got that feeling uh, from a lot of the in-state kids, and and I think the tide is kind of starting to change there. The the work they did in-state this year uh, was tremendous, both uh, you know with the five kids that they offered scholarships to, as well as a lot of the walk-ons. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap up defensive talk, Nate. The one thing, and Frost mentioned this, they still need another pass rusher. I mean, that is kind of the one glaring need for Nebraska um, in the second cycle. Yeah, they got to add a pass rusher. You know, they uh, we talked about Lloyd Summerall a little bit, and and like we said, you know, I don't think anyone really legitimately thought that he was going to be picking Nebraska. Uh, but it, boy, it sure would have been nice to add somebody like that to your roster. So now the the attention really turns to a guy like Brandon Mack, who's six four, six five, two hundred twenty pounds, committed to Pitt. Uh, you know, another one of those those outside linebacker, defensive end, pass rusher types out of the state of Alabama. Uh, I think that they've got a good shot at getting him to take an official visit, and then Sony Fanua. Fanua Sorry, uh, out of Mesa Community College uh, in in Arizona is is kind of a new JUCO target there. Six four, two fifty. Um, has played really outside linebacker, defensive end, a little D tackle even. Uh, and actually, I got to see him play in person uh, when we were down watching Arizona Western. Uh, and I looked back at my roster and I, I had notes that I wrote down uh, from him. I had no idea who he was at the time, but he really impressed me. Uh, versatile player, uh, and again, I mean, tremendous motor. And a guy that really, uh, really gave, honestly, gave Desmond Bland all he could handle. He gave Bland all he wanted and, and little, a little more. So uh, he, and that's why he got my attention. Um, and so I think those are two main targets that, that they would uh, ultimately like to get on campus and, and possibly add at least one of them to as a pass rusher. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring in Husker Line intern Mike Wheeler. He was fresh from a big night in Norfolk and uh, covered the action in Norfolk this morning with Ethan Piper. We'll bring in Mike Wheeler next for the mail. Bag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. But there was a, a few games this year where looking across the 50 at other people warming up, I thought teams were bigger than us. That's not supposed to happen in Nebraska. Um, the Nebraska I know is bigger, stronger, and more physical than other teams. We certainly have some of those guys on our team right now, but we need more of them. We wanted to get bigger, particularly on the on the two lines, but also in other in other areas and other positions. And uh, we, we weren't just recruiting size. We wanted good players and good athletes. And I think we were able to uh, fill those needs for the most part. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, pleased to bring in intern Mike Wheeler, who was out in Norfolk um, checking out Ethan Piper earlier on Wednesday. First of all, did you survive your first kind of real big road trip covering a big signing day? I remember my first signing day press conference. It was like 20 years ago. You know, it, it was actually went pretty well. Uh, it was it was a low stress, uh, low pressure, so it was a nice uh, kind of to dip my feet in the water there and kind of get some uh, experience. With you got that. your work in early. It was like a 7:45 a.m. presser. It's been a long day, I tell you what. So you're you're earning it today, but you got a mailbag. What do you have to start out with here? All right, so we'll start out here. Uh, of the players that signed their letter of intent today, which two do you feel have the best opportunity to contribute uh, next year in 2019? <sighs> I mean, I, I think it's hard not to say Wondell Robinson on offense, just based on. You look at the receivers from Nebraska last year, Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman, if you took away them, no other receiver on this team had more than 22 targeted throws. So the opportunity is there for a Wandell, um, especially with guys like Jerron Woodyard and, and um, even Mike Williams not stepping up like we thought last year. So I, I, I could see Wandell um, defensively, 
Ty Robinson, I mean, he's the big guy they got down the stretch. I think the defensive line needs more bodies, good quality, big bodies. And I think it's paved for him to get on the field right away. And I'm sure Nate's going to say I took his two, and he's probably trying to come up with two more now. Yeah, well, yeah, so you did take my two. Um, you know, if we include the the Juco players, I, I think that uh, you can make a very strong case that a, that a Dedrick Mills uh, it would be a guy that would see an awful lot of playing time next year, uh, assuming he makes it. I mean, the guy was a, a freshman All-American at Georgia Tech. Uh, he was a preseason All-ACC pick before he ended up transferring to, to uh, Garden City Community College. So, Assuming he makes it, I think that he's a he's a pretty safe pick on the on the offensive side of the football. Now defensively, I, I agree. I, I really like Ty Robinson. I think that he's he's a guy who's about as ready made for the college game as as it's going to get for a defensive lineman coming out of high school. Um, you know, I, I I would say that a guy like Quentin Newsom to me is somebody who I could see kind of sneaking onto the field. Um, you know, coming from Atlanta, uh, I think that he's a highly skilled defensive back uh, who's got great size already, and and they they do have some holes back there, and and uh, you know, still trying to piece some things together. I think that he's somebody that could uh, make a run at playing time. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Dedrick Mills, can we get a status check on him because uh, we did get a signature. Uh, from him today, but uh, it's looking like there could be an opening there. Well, we're taping this show Wednesday night, so it's kind of, you know, as of Wednesday night, Nate, I mean, it looks it looks like he's going to sign maybe this week. Um, so I apologize if you're listening here, um, but, you know, later after Wednesday, but, you know, I expect him to sign this week. Yeah, it, it's what a, all, all signs are kind of pointing towards him signing within the 72-hour the window that we have here uh, with his early signing period. I, I think – uh, you know, my read on the situation is that he's just trying to get some loose ends tied up academically, and Nebraska wants to make sure that everything is is uh, you know all the all the the eyes are dotted and T's are crossed uh, before they go ahead and let him sign that. To, uh, you know, that way, they know for certain that he'll be on campus early. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with intern Mike Wheeler. All right, next up. So, uh, when was the last time that uh, Nebraska had a recruiting class or a national signing day? I guess go this smoothly and and kind of the whole status quo. I really don't remember any. And, you know, there was four announcements that involved Nebraska here in December, and, and you kind of knew that three of the four were going to go their way, three of the four went their way. The one that wasn't was Summerall, and, you know, we already kind of had a pretty good idea, especially when he went up to the table and there wasn't even a Nebraska hat on the table. And Nebraska wasn't really tipping their hand on Twitter that it was coming down the pipes. Um, so I don't know if there has been one in, in this modern – you know, let's bring signing day announcements to the public like we do today. This might have been as smooth as it gets, um, you know, considering, you know, kind of where things are at in year two, going into year two for Scott Frost. Yeah, I, I've been trying to think about this and I actually talked with this about uh, with a couple other media members at, after the press conference. I don't remember a, a signing day in the last 10, 15 years that, that has gone as smooth as things went uh, on Wednesday. And, uh, and I think that's a big credit to to the coaching staff and 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 their ability to recruit kids that that aren't all into the drama. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, tip of the hat to them because I think it made everyone's job a lot easier. Well, and I'll say this: like when you have the early signing day, um, it just doesn't give staffs very much time to waste in home visits. I mean, if you're going to in home a guy, you better be dang sure you got a chance with him. Yeah. And that's where it changed. With January, you could go in and in-home a guy and kind of gamble a little bit and take more chances where, you know, with this December date, with just three weeks, you better not take yourself off the road where you could maybe be seeing other guys to kind of waste your time on trying to steal maybe a Nebraska guy or whatnot. So I think that made a huge, huge difference um, when you kind of look at how it all played out. All right, so looking ahead now to February, now that we know uh, who has signed uh, their letter of intent today, what positions are the most important needs here heading into the uh, next couple months? Yeah, definitely outside linebacker uh, you know, and defensive back. I think that they need at least one outside linebacker, somebody who's a legitimate threat to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, regardless of whether it's a high school guy or a junior college guy. And the defensive uh, secondary, I, I think that ideally they would like to add one corner and one safety. You know, Noah Pola Gates is the safety. 
Uh, there's a couple other corners that are, that are out there. You know, Tavian Mayo, Jamel Starks have already visited. Um, it looked like they were going to be able to, to get a visit from Nehemiah Pritchett uh, out of Alabama, who had been a longtime Auburn commit, but because uh, he said he wasn't signing, but he did end up signing with Auburn, so he's off the table now. But, um, you know, those are the two main positions, and, and I think they would also like to add, uh, you know, maybe one – more wide receiver if they could maybe maybe a, a different type of body like a Charles Njoku who's 6'4 200 pounds out of uh, uh out of New Jersey a really talented four-star wide out there all right we got time for two more Mike all right so who are some names that we are going to hear about here in the next few weeks that uh Nebraska has a legit shot uh shot of landing maybe new names that we haven't heard of yet boy new names that we haven't heard of yet I think that's something that's going to happen you know here here over the next few days. Yeah, kind of organically. You yeah. just got to get back in your meeting room and say, these are the chips that are left in the game. What are the chips that we want? Yeah, you got to you got to look at uh, you know look at things after the dust settles initially um, and, and see who signed, who's still out there. Because I'll tell you what, if you're a legitimate recruit right now at this point in time and you did not sign in the early signing period, you're, you're essentially a free agent. So uh, I think everyone is fair game at this point if you haven't signed. And, and I think that what we'll see is Nebraska probably take a look at, at what names are out there, what guys are out there, and, and who kind of fits what they're looking for and, and who makes sense to kind of make a run at. And I guarantee you we're going to see or hear about some new names that pop up. we got time for one more, Mike. All right, so uh, I asked you guys earlier if we've ever had a signing day that was uh, as calm as this one, but we'll kind of switch gears here. What about the craziest signing day or maybe the, the most memorable signing day that you guys can think of? One that will always be in my memory bank is 2005. Just that great, great class, how it went. I mean, it was number five, and you could say what you want. That class produced two Big 12 players of the year. It, it had – players that appeared in three Big 12 championship games. Um, that was not a bad recruiting class. I mean, it, it was a very, very good class. But that day, Reggie Smith, um, they almost pulled that one out. Um, he turned down Nebraska, but you knew it wasn't good when he went into his school auditorium and there was 2,000 people in there. He wasn't going to pick Nebraska in Oklahoma with 2,000 people in that gym. But that same year, they beat USC and Pete Carroll in the prime of USC and Pete Carroll for Marlon Lucky. They beat Philip Fulmer for Barry Turner out of Nashville. Um, they beat Oklahoma for Philip Dillard out of Tulsa um, in the prime of Bob Stoops. Um, so that that 05 year, and then getting Zach Taylor as a Big 12 Player of the Year, getting Adamic and Sue as a Big 12 Player of the Year, um, you know that was a special class with NFL talent just all over the place. Yeah, the one that sticks out to me uh, that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget about is the 2008 class um, and how things were rolling along so well. Um, and it's, this is not just a signing day deal, but just the how that that unbelievable class just completely dissolved as the season went down the <laughs> the toilet. Uh, oh, like fifteen decommits or something. 50, right? Yeah, f I think it was, I think it was actually fourteen decommitments in the span of like thirty days. Um, you know, you had uh, and and uh, tons of guys ended up going to the NFL that were either either like all conference players or you know ended up making it to the league that uh, that decommitted uh you know riley Relief, riley reef uh gabbert um i mean I, you could just go on and on jonas gray you go on and on down the list um you know trevor robinson um one well, Polini's so staff like they tried to salvage some of it and you know didn't they in home dan hoke and trevor robinson and on like the same day and both the guys decommitted on the in homes essentially yeah. i mean yeah. it was it was a nightmare. It was. A, I mean, even a new staff couldn't clean it up at that point. And yeah, we we went from. I was working at Nebraska at the time, and uh, we went from having you know being kind of being on top of the world. We were recruiting really, really well, uh, and we brought in a bunch of highly touted, big time guys for the USC game. And that was kind of the beginning of the end, uh, that, that USC game. Uh, and then from there on out, it was just like we just, we just hemorrhaged, <laughs> hemorrhaged recruits left and right. Uh, that class was poised to be easily a top five class in the country, easily. It was going to be better than the 2005 class. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, there were some legit dudes. But All right, well, that wraps it up for the mailbag. Nate, um, I know you need a much-deserved break, so um, we will talk here next week, obviously. But we're going to talk some hoops in our next segment, so – uh, that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. 
You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, you have to prove you can win away from home. And uh, although this had a great uh, environment to it, it's still away from home. And, uh, and I thought our guys uh, did a good job because they performed better as the game went on. So they were able to extend the, the lead. They were able to extend the whole thing. And I think that means a lot. They, didn't, they never let uh, Oklahoma State back into the game. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, final segment of this post-signing day show. But we are going to talk one segment here of Nebraska basketball, and quite frankly, we should. They're 9-2 and two, um, with two of their bye week games coming up. Cal State Fullerton here first on Saturday. It's a back-to-back Saturday schedule at Pinnacle Bank Arena, both 1 o'clock traditional tip-off times. They're doing all they can, Rob, to make these two bye games have kind of somewhat decent crowds they're not too early they're not too late it's during the holiday season students are off campus um, but you know first of all let's get to uh, where this team's at you are in Sioux Falls this Nebraska it's a big win over Oklahoma State a power conference win and Oklahoma State's not a good team I mean as good as people thought they were going to be but still nonetheless another quality resume builder for this program here uh, moving into December yeah that game worked out exactly how Nebraska wanted it to, um, you know, obviously with the movement uh, across college basketball to play more of those neutral site games, um, with the value, uh, with the quadrant system that is placed on playing away from home, uh, those neutral sites are kind of a win-win for both teams. Uh, you obviously get the, the reward for, you know, leaving your home arena, but you also don't have to throw yourself into the hornet's nest of playing a true road game. Well, Oklahoma state must not have looked at a map or known anything about the upper Midwest. To oh, see. no one in South Dakota cheers for Nebraska. Yeah, thinking that this was going to be a neutral site game. That was the least neutral arena I've ever seen in my life. Okay, so they listed the attendance at 3,800 fans. And that and the Sanford Pentagon, for those that aren't familiar, it's uh, where the uh, Sioux Falls Sky Force, the G League team for the Miami Heat play. And so it's a really nice, cool uh, – they built it to look really throwback. Anyway, um, a really – uh, it was pretty in, sweet. Intimate venue. And so uh, 3,800 people there. And I would say about 20 were Oklahoma State fans. And that's not an exaggeration. So it was that much of a disparity. And they were serving. The, the booze was flowing and people were jacked up. It was a party. And so it was a wild atmosphere there that was 100% pro Huskers. Yeah, you took away the aspect of a traditional home game of based on kind of priority points. Season ticket holders got the good seats where – this was a Ticketmaster buy. So first come, first serve. That's how my, I had a buddy buy 28 courtside seats, and we all went down, and we had front row tickets. And it was a different dynamic of a crowd no doubt. right on top of the court compared to PBA. I mean, the people that donate the money get the good seats. And usually those aren't the wild, crazy people that like to drink a lot of beer and cheer. Yeah. So there was dudes that were slapping the floor during they games. They got kicked yeah. out. And, and then uh, there was a dude that walked out onto the court after the game was over and like, started high-fiving the players. So it, it got a little raucous, but uh, Nebraska loved it. I know the players loved it. Uh, and, again, going, going back to the, the actual game itself, um, when they look back on the NCAA resume, they're not going to care about what the crowd makeup was. They're going to see that they played away from Pinnacle Bank Arena in a different state, played a high major opponent, and won. And going back to last year, there's so much value that is placed on challenging yourself with your scheduling, f- playing away from your home arena, playing other high major teams. Uh, and so that's going to not go unnoticed uh, by the NCAA selection committee, even regardless of what Oklahoma State does this year. It's still interesting, though, in the NET rating, which, by the way, no affiliation to Big Red Wrap-Up, a totally different... Um, <laughs> they, they call it the net rankings. The net rankings. Um, they haven't played a top 40 team, right? Uh, That's in the top 40 right now. Yeah, I don't think so. It's, it changes daily, so it's hard to know. They're getting... But. I mean, how do you explain kind of the method of the madness of the NET, the net, that Nebraska's ranked in the top 15... Yeah, they were 14th last I checked. ...without playing a top 40 team in that poll. I mean, that's that's very interesting to me that they're getting this much respect yeah. without a marquee win yet. The strength of schedule is part of it, and obviously it's a big part of it. But like I said, it's, it's a ever-flowing ranking system. It's not like the AP where it comes out once a week. It is literally updated by the day. So, uh, I mean, just because they're there now in a week, that could change. Uh, I remember there was a point earlier they were as high as 7th, and then they dropped all the way down to like 
18th uh, after the, I think it was the Texas Tech loss or whatever it was. Maybe it was a Minnesota loss. But anyway, uh, so that is, you know, that's going to be something that you follow basically day to day to see uh, where Nebraska stands. But that's the most important ranking system right now. The AP poll doesn't mean anything. The coaches poll does not mean a single thing. It's the net rankings. And that is what the NCAA tournament committee has basically replaced the RPI rankings with. And so that that's what you want to watch. And right now, Nebraska's in a very good spot. And you can say what you want about um, you know, Creighton not being what they hoped it would be or Oklahoma State or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, Nebraska's, their resume looks good right now. Um, Seton Hall, that win is a lot better than people thought it was. They have not be. ducked opponents. No, and those wins, they've whipped people. I mean, outside of uh, the Clemson game, which is their lone true road win, which is probably their most significant of all, uh, they've blown teams out in every game that they've won. So uh, they've done everything maybe outside of winning at Minnesota that they were supposed to do. And so that's a pretty good spot to be in going into conference. Well, yeah, you think about last year. I mean, I don't want to say it like this, but it felt like Miles scheduled to basically get wins and save his job. Yeah. And they got wins, and they saved did. his job, but they just didn't get to the tournament. Well, and you go two years earlier, they scheduled way too hard because they thought they were going to get Andrew White, and he ditches them, and then they're going and playing uh, one of the top five, I think, uh, most difficult strength of schedules. Like UCLA and they got Kansas crushed. And... So, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, a good balance compared to what they went through two years ago when they went through last year to where they're getting the opportunities to get signature wins, but they're not completely wearing themselves down before they even get into their heart of their conference season. Well, and the Big Ten requires you to have 22 schedule dates now, 20 conference games, the Gavit, and the ACC Challenge. So mm-hmm. right there, you're locked in yeah. 22 Power five or and then, power then League you games. add in those, those in-state rivalries. And so, yeah, Creighton That's for 23. Nebraska, That's A 23. tournament's going to be 25. Yep. So, yeah, you really only have like four or five bye games, and two of them are coming up this weekend, and everybody schedules their bye games, Robin, over Christmas break because the atmosphere is going to suck. Well, yeah, and so uh, obviously Cal State Fullerton, they were a tournament team last year, but they're nowhere near what they were a season ago. Uh, I think they, as of recording, had three wins, and uh, only one of those was even ranked at all in the Ken Palm rankings. And then the next week, they have Southwest Minnesota State, where there's the Tim Miles tie in there. That's where he used to coach. And it doesn't count, though. But they're a D2 school, so it has zero implication, I guess, technically win or loss, if <laughs> uh, regardless of the outcome of that game. So, um, like you mentioned earlier, though, the, the good thing is, is that Nebraska had some foresight, and they scheduled those games on Saturdays at 1 o'clock, where there's zero excuse for fans that you know either have to work the next morning or don't want to well, drive and, at and night. And you help the Carney guy, and you help the Grand Island exactly. guy, the North Platte guy. You can make a weekend of it. You can make it. Well, uh, or they can leave in the morning and yeah. still get home at night. Exactly. You, 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 no one wants to get a hotel on twenty second of December. You got Christmas stuff coming exactly. up on you, so you put the game at one o'clock. So the Carney guy, the Omaha guy, whoever can get in and out of Lincoln to go to this game, maybe go to have a few beers at one of our neighbors here in the Haymarket, um, and and call it a day. And you got two of those. And I actually like, Robin, how the schedule falls for the Big Ten. Nebraska's first two road games um, out of the, a, after the break, are on, they're on the road, but they're during the break. So they're not going to have the student environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we saw a couple years ago, they went to Maryland yep. and, and was in, in Indiana as well, right? Yep. They've been able to steal some wins on the games when students aren't on campus because the environments just aren't the same. Yeah, so they go to Maryland on January 2nd, and that's a huge part because Maryland student section is like right on the court, and it's huge, and they usually sell that thing out. And they're so, not going to be there. Yeah, not having the students in session is a very big advantage, as they, like you mentioned, saw two years ago when they won down there. And then they got Iowa, which, um, you know, they're a top 25 team as well um, that could light it up too. And so, you know, I think just having those two, you know, obviously that diff- three out of your first four Conference games on the road is difficult, but that that schedule break uh, will definitely help Nebraska. Yeah, then Nebraska gets gets it back on the flip side. They're gonna they have to get now three more home games back after that stretch. But business first. Nebraska has a couple games um, here at home over the next two Saturdays to get through Christmas. And Robin Washett will keep you up to date. Make sure. Uh, you're on Husker Online all throughout the weekend as Robin will have coverage of that and we'll continue to have more wrap-up and analysis of Nebraska's early 2019 recruiting class. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.